Hey everybody, this is Chelsea Schaefer and Caitlin Gustav, and this is The Score, the official podcast of the sport of team roping. This is the Team Roping Journal's semi-weekly podcast, highlighting the team roping industry's top talents and influencers through stories that inspire and connect ropers. We sit down with ropers from the professional ranks, as well as industry icons and producers to delve into topics that make the team roping world tick. This is season two. It will feature even deeper interviews, storytelling, and issue-based coverage, and we are so excited you're here. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Score. This week's episode is a little bit different, as it's our chance to talk about how the team roping community is giving back to the larger community through the 1017 Project. You guys, I'm so happy to bring you this episode. It's meaningful, um, I learned a lot, and I think you will too. So this week's guest is Pastor Jordan Weaver of Powell Butte, Oregon. He's here to tell us how he's helping to solve America's hunger problem through roped out cattle with his 1017 project. Originally from Fort Worth, Texas, Pastor Weaver developed the 1017 project through his Shiloh Ranch Church with his wife Lacey and a team of volunteers absolutely dedicated to the organization's mission, which is to provide a sustainable supply of high-quality beef to local food banks and other entities feeding food-insecure families while uniting the culture of each local community they serve. The 1017 Project routinely feeds homeless people, kids from low-income households through school programs, and families considered food insecure. As the 1017 Project team, which includes Administrator Holly McLean, puts it, food insecurity applies to anybody who's skipping a meal to pay an electric bill. Food banks have such a difficult time getting the protein that this hamburger meat is complementing the rest of what's in these food pantries and makes so many more meals possible. The food banks, shelters, and other outlet recipients of the 1017 projects pay those USDA butchers required by the program, which works out to about 70 cents per pound, and also means the person donating the steer gets a tax write-off and doesn't get stuck with the butcher's bill. Since the 1017 project launched five years ago, It has provided people with more than 65,000 pounds of premium beef and much-needed and appreciated protein. It's pretty amazing for a community church in Little Powell Butte, Oregon, with a population of 1,768. Guys, I've got to thank Kendra Santos for her reporting on this story. It's in the April issue of the Team Roping Journal. I think you'll really enjoy it. We've got it up on our website now. So if you want to learn more about the 1017 Project, absolutely check that out. I wouldn't have known about it if Kendra hadn't done such a wonderful job reporting. So thank you, Kendra. And thank you, Jordan. I hope you all enjoy this interview. This week's episode of The Score is brought to you by Smart Pack Equine. SmartPack has made it easy to create a customized supplement program for your horse. You can find out more at smartpack.com or by calling 1-800-461-8898 and stay tuned for more information later in this episode. I'm so excited for this interview and I kind of throw the word excited around, but I really mean this. Like I, I am... There's so much that I care about. Um, well, I throw around I want... the word nervous a lot, but <laughs> it would be accurate here, too. No, why are you nervous? This is easy peasy. This well, is fun stuff. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You're allowed to be nervous, though. I I'll appreciate follow it. follow your lead, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Awesome. Well, you know, I somebody on your team reached out to us 
uh, maybe in December, I think I was at the NFR when I got an email from one of the people that helps you with your marketing for the 1017 project. And it kind of took us a while to get around to this story just because we had so much going on with Vegas. But then once I read Kendra Santos's uh, version of your story and the 1017 project, I was like, we have to talk to this guy more because oh, I, I, I love this whole thing. So we're going to talk about the 1017 project but I want to talk about you first. Tell me, where did you grow up? And give me a little bit on your background that, that led you to this point. Yeah. So I will tell you, I'm the least interesting thing about this whole project. And I think that's what's funny about all of it is <laughs> I grew up in Fort Worth, um, mm-hmm. just south of Fort Worth, actually a little town called Rio Vista um, originally. And then we moved to, to Burleson, but uh, kind of in the Fort Worth area forever. And grew up rodeoing you know we had the i was in region three and the c2ra and the ajras and all the all the little culture that goes on right there in that part of the world mm-hmm. and then we we moved uh i married a girl from central oregon Lacey, uh in 2007 and then we moved to oregon in 2012 and i'm not sure if this is public knowledge or public information or not but i really thought i was going to be here for about two years and then move back mm-hmm. and that was seven years ago <laughs> and why'd you stay um, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things where I felt like I was a part of something that was actually making a difference. Um, you know, I, I hate winter and I hate snow and I hate cold weather. And so I just couldn't see, uh, I couldn't see a way that I could stay here long-term. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, things started to go well and it started to grow. And and like I said, I felt like, I felt like I was a part of something that was, that was making a difference. And if I would have, if I would have just thrown my hands up and quit, then I didn't really have something like that to return to by any means. And I honestly, I just, I fell in love with the people up here. They're amazing. It's a, it's a the culture up here is really tight knit. You know, it's, it's people that deserve to have their stories told, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so as we, as we kind of just kept going, honestly, there just wasn't a, there wasn't even that option as far as leaving. I mean, we still had some details that we needed to work out as far as what that looked like for winter and, you know, my, <laughs> my seasonal cabin fever crazy, but, um, <laughs> it was worth it. It was worth it to try to figure out those solutions. If it meant we got to stay a part of what was going on here. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what is going on there with Shiloh Ranch Church. Shiloh Ranch Church. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. the, I, I think, I think that God allowed me to be a pastor of a church in a part of the world where I didn't grow up. And I think that was just merciful of him because everybody that knew me growing up that comes up to this part of the world. And I was like, he's a pastor. Um, <laughs> those stories are at a minimum if I'm not, if, I'm, if it's not the area where I grew up, but, um, my, my dad is a pastor, um, Russ Weaver and they've got, it's funny, they've got their, the show on RFD TV and, um, it's got, it's got like a, a huge following of people that, that watch RFD, <laughs> but, uh, my uncle, he's got a church. My grandpa, he was a pastor of a church. You know I mean? It's, it's the family business and I was determined that was not the route I was going to go. And so it was, it was kind of against my, my best wishes. I saw an opportunity and that's why I said, I thought we'd be here for two years is that I saw a group of people that just did not have a church that looked like them, if that makes sense. And and I didn't really, honestly, I just didn't really have a huge overwhelming desire to be a pastor of a church anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably, you know, that combined with winter was probably why the cattle project became such an important thing to me personally. Mm-hmm. It was uh, probably a survival technique in the beginning of something that kept me busy and something that kept my, kept my attention and, and just kept me busy enough that I wasn't just inside all the time during the winter. Yeah. And so, so you're a team roper though as well. And that's been a big part. I think that is a generous description of what I do. (laughs) What's your head and heel number? 
is that uh, appropriate? Am I'm I allowed straight, to ask yeah, that? Yeah, I'm a six straight across. What's funny is I've I've been a six. I I, I rope calves forever. Um, I grew <laughs> up roping calves and team roped a little bit. I got I was a seven in the old system, and then I didn't buy my card for eleven years. When I bought my card, I guess I guess that was their way of trying to bait me back in. I was a six. And I thought I would. I thought I wouldn't be a six for very long. And then, like I said, I've I've been team roping about three years now, and and it hasn't moved. If that tells you what kind of a team roper I am. All right. Um, well, the team roping kind of led you, in a way, to the ten seventeen project. Tell absolutely, me. Absolutely no. Absolutely, it did. It did. And and um, this part of the world regionally, it was. It, you know, when you're when you're raised in Texas, the the region is different. The land is different. The cattle business runs different. Um, and what we, what we figured out really quickly, if this, if this church was going to have sort of an event center, what we don't want is an established church culture, I guess is what I didn't want. And what I wanted to see was people who previously did not have a church concept could feel a home here, you know, with mm-hmm. food and, you know, we serve breakfast every week and, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of the church for people who don't go to church. And so if we were going to have events and, and ropings and things like that here on the property, we knew we were going to have to have cattle and the business model of renting cattle monthly and then just turning them back when we were done didn't really make sense because first of all, there's not a lot of people that are doing that up here. And second of all, you're just burying a tremendous amount of money into something that when you're done, you give back. And so um, our thought was that, and, and really honestly, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I really thought that this thing would cap out at 40 head. I thought the 1017 project was going to be 40 head and that was going to be it. Mm-hmm. But if we could, if we could just buy our own cattle and then do the exact same thing. Like we're paying ourselves rent for the exact same cattle that we would have. And then at the end, when we're back to zero on them, instead of giving them back to whoever originally owned them, we could just see if there was a food bank that could use them. And, and I know this sounds, it sounds kind of almost laughable now considering what, what it's gone on to do, but we didn't even know if a food bank could use the hamburger. But what we did know is um, we had, and I, I hate to even tell this story because I, I feel like I'm tattling on myself, but we originally had brought um, – Thanksgiving baskets to people like we, we wanted to do something the church was just starting we wanted to do something and and what we found is that when we delivered Thanksgiving baskets with frozen turkeys there were it was to people that we got a list I mean we'd done our research people that we thought would benefit from it we were doing mm-hmm. all the legwork trying to connect with people in our community that we thought could use it and when we got there you know we had a frozen turkey and we were dropping it off to families that were living in an RV and I felt terrible like there's no there's no use to them it was of no use to them. And, and I wanted them to be okay. angry at me. I wanted them to be mad at me and say, Hey, this, this doesn't help us. And they weren't, they were gracious and they were kind of, thank you so much. And, and, and as, as, as much as we were trying to accomplish in that, I knew that it wasn't a sustainable model. And so when we started talking about cattle, the thought was we could turn everything into hamburger. So if it's a rope and steer, instead of trying to get prime cuts and things like that, put everything into hamburger it creates a better product. Uh, Coriannis, for those of you guys that know roping cattle, which I'm sure everybody listens to this podcast knows a little bit about that. It's a lean beef source. And when you put it all into hamburger, the quality is higher. And that's a that's a usable package. You know, it's something that no matter where you're living, I mean, if you have access to a microwave, hamburger is usable in a one-pound package. And so what... Well, like I said, when we started, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but when we started, we kind of just reached out to the food banks and went, hey, is this something that would be usable. I mean, is this something that you get would even be a benefit because they already have the relationships with the people. They're already serving people in their community. They already have relationships with these people that are in need. They're what's what I learned. The term is food insecure. 
So they've already they've already been working with these people, and instead of reinventing the wheel, we said, "Hey, what if we just resourced you guys? It's what you're already doing. Is there a way that we could be a benefit to you guys?" And I mean, I, I hate to overuse the word shocked, but I was shocked at the response. It was, "We have no protein in our food bank right now. None." It's when the cattle market was high; they were giving peanut butter as a protein source. They had nothing. And I've learned I've learned since. Again, you start something like this, and it's all the things that you learn looking back, but there was a, a statewide cattle association that had tried something like this and their goal was to try to get one cow a month donated. And it, you know, the, the logistics and the legwork, it just, they just couldn't get it off the ground. So as a result, no beef was going into the food banks. No protein was being given away. They were given vegetarian meals. Peanut butter was a source of protein. And so as it turned out, what we were thinking was actually a giant need in the community. Now, what did you know about food insecurity? I mean, I'm, I did some quick Googling before we talked, and it says one in six people in America face hunger, according to the USDA. I mean, what did you know about food insecurity going into this Nothing. project? Nothing. I mean, I, I, I'm by nature, uh, I'm not just a super sympathetic person by nature. So this idea that I would be a part of something with these people in the community to build a, a food source, it just... It wasn't something I ever thought about. I wasn't against it. I just didn't, it just didn't, I didn't know anything about it. And so Mm -hmm. when I start hearing things like food insecurity and the need and that children go home a lot of times after school and the only food that they get are, is food that they're getting at school. And I mean, it was an eye opener for me um, just to see it. And I I mean, I know that most people are probably this way, but once you see it, it's hard to unsee. Yeah. I didn't go, I didn't start a program thinking that I would be able to make a tremendous impact. Honestly, we were trying to figure out a better business model than what we'd seen demonstrated. And at this point, you know, this is like 2013 as we're starting the concept, there's nothing like this going. There's not a a church that's in the cattle business. It was a brand new concept to the point that when we started trying to roll out the idea, because like I said, we're learning about the need, we're learning about the deficiencies, we're learning about everything that goes with it. What I started to see is that, hey, the food bank is probably the primary reason for something like this. Mm -hmm. So to to your question, I really didn't know that much about it at all. At all. Yeah. So now from 2013, 2012, 2013, when this all started, where are we now? Uh, How many head per month are you able to supply to these food banks? What's, give me some, some info. Okay. So, and I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back to kind of the beginning. And there are people, when I say that there are people who deserve to have their stories told, this is what I mean. Mm-hmm. I called Robert Buckner and, and that name, you know, the Gilligan horses that you guys know of, like the, the mm-hmm. horse that, that produced all those good head horses. The guy that owns Gilligan is a guy named Robert Buckner. And he mm-hmm. lives here in Powell Butte where we are. And I called him with the idea. And like I said, there's nothing to compare it to. I didn't get to call him and go, Hey, I want to start a project like blank. We were it. I mean, this is innovation and I'm not really all that innovative. And Robert said, yeah, do it. You can keep it in my pasture. If it hadn't been for that phone call, this would have never got off the ground because it was such an idea. We didn't have anywhere to put them. We were leasing a building for the church. We didn't own any property. Um, and Robert's like, yeah, do it. And then, you know, Jerry Hicks, we call Jerry and Jerry's like, well, here's what we can do. All these people that, like I said, in my mind, deserve to have their stories told. Dave and Cindy Malott started feeding the nine cows that we started with. And <laughs> we went down there. To, we went down there to buy. Originally, we're like, we're doing it. And so we went to this place to buy six cows and they were bred. And one of the cows was so mean that she was hooking horses that were tied up to the fence and she hooked one of the poles off the fences. And I was like, how about we buy five? And so we started with five instead of six. Um, but it was, it was just, it was almost embarrassingly primitive in the beginning. We thought the best market would be a, a cow calf operation so we could raise our own calves. And 
I mean, it's it's one of those things, and I'm not exaggerating, Chelsea. It's like every single thing that we thought was wrong. We were yeah. like every year we figure out better ways to do it. Um, we've gone now to where we're just primarily buying rope and steers. We're not. We're kind of gradually moving our way out of the cow calf operation as our primary because it takes so long to get them ropeable that you're feeding cows and calves and ropers, and the ropers are the only ones that are able to regenerate any amount of income through the yeah. and practices and stuff. So today uh, we're at we're at uh, thirty tons, right? I think we're at like 67,000 pounds of hamburger that we've donated. Holy and, and what we've learned is that every pound of hamburger equates to four meals. Again, things that you learn after the fact. The food banks have told us that everything in their food bank and everything in their pantry and everything in their freezer space becomes usable, built out around hamburger. Like when you have hamburger, you can send noodles and gravy and vegetables and recipes. And I mean, it, it's kind of the thing that brought color back into their food banks. Things that we would have never known, but that each pound of of hamburger equates to about four meals. So, I mean, it's in the neighborhood of, I mean, we're getting close to 300,000 meals that have been donated through that so far. Wow. So how many people do you have on the back end working on this project? I I don't even want to start naming names because they're literally, I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. There are hundreds of people who have fingerprints on it. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, so, so. I mean, like, oh gosh, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to start saying names because I would just, I would be in such a bind, but there's an entire community who think of this as their project. You know, that's why I said it's almost laughable. I am just, I'm painfully ordinary and I get so much credit for something that so many other people have been a part of that the entire community of Powell Butte has said like, this is, this is us. This is what we do. We love it. We're behind it. You know, we've got people that have no ties to the church whatsoever that have donated hay and time and um, you know, we've since started putting on ropings. We've got jackpots and practices. And, and the goal is that we want those cattle to try to start returning the original investment. Like we, we want to get back to zero. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's people that, I mean, they, they don't necessarily care one way or the other about the, what we do. They just know that it's a good roping. It's a good jackpot. And we've partnered with Ty Yost with, through the NTR. We've been putting on NTR events. Um, we lease out cattle, the jackpots that are around here that aren't our events. Um, and so the, the team roping culture in central Oregon has actually come up quite a bit. It's actually improved, I think dramatically between what we've done and, you know, the, the culture is starting to, I think, benefit mm-hmm. and as the team ropings benefit, obviously as the, as the, as the ropings do better, the quicker we get to zero on cattle and the better job we're able to do as far as expansion and, and growth. We're, we're at about 300 head right now, probably. And I mean, like I said, as, as we do a better job with the events, then we're able to do a better job with the program. And then why does the, aside from all the good that this does, why does this model make sense to expand into other roping communities? I was just, you know, and in my Googling, you know, Texas has a, is one of the eight states that has a higher than average, higher than the U.S. national average of, of food insecurity. Why could this model work in other places? That is an amazing question. And I wish I would have thought to mention it before you did, but you get the credit because <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, I look at, I look at Wickenburg, Arizona specifically. Um, you look at all the cattle that get brought into that part of the world. To, you know, I mean, I mean, it's, a, it's the culture center now for what's going on. I think of all the cattle that get brought in, all the cattle that get used and 73% of the kids in that school district are what's considered food insecure below the poverty line. There's 57 kids in that school district that are homeless. So when I look at all of the the opportunity that's in Wickenburg, what I feel like is important for us, because we're donating, I think we donated 68 animals last year. 
Um, we're at five a month as a base plus whatever gets donated and brought in. So when I look at all the cattle that are available in that part of the world, what I would view our, our role as being is sort of a connection point between the people who could use it and the people who have it. Um, you know, so many times a steer breaks a horn or starts to drag or ducks or, I mean, there's, there's so many opportunities for a steer that is not big enough to be considered butchering weight. But if you're putting it all into hamburger, it doesn't matter how big they are because it's usable. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, and so I think as far as the next horizon, when you look at what this has done in, in central Oregon, if we could begin to replicate that in Arizona, we become a tax benefit for people who would otherwise not get much for a steer. You know, there's not a lot of uh, financial value in a steer that weighs 450 pounds, has got a broken horn or, or is not moving right, or for whatever reason is no longer ropeable. They're actually, I mean, you know this, but they're actually in better condition to go to the butcher having been roped. You know, they're physically in better condition. Uh-huh. As, I mean, if people are taking care of them the way they should. Um, but they, it becomes a it becomes a tax haven for people that have the resources, and it becomes a food source for the people that don't. Um, you know, in my mind, it's just one of those ideas that it will work. It's going to happen. And what's funny is we've seen copycat programs, and I, from the bottom of my heart, I'm okay with it. Like, I think in the beginning, I wanted to be a little frustrated that they would take an idea and copy it. I'm like, hey, you know. And then, <laughs> and then it's, as stupid as that sounds, I'm like, well, there's people getting fed. You know, there's yeah. people that are literally food on their tables. And, and I think that was probably just <laughs> an uh, uh, avenue of maturity on my part that I need to grow up a little bit. Um, but the idea works so well that if, even if it's not us, you see people that are, that are modeling this idea. Um, and so our goal, our goal is that eventually we'll be able to connect the tax benefits to people. I mean, steers that we never see come through our program, that someone donates it through the concept of the 1017 project. We're able to do tax benefits. We're able to connect them to food banks. Um, I had a conversation with a guy named Don Wakamatsu, who's a, a manager with the Rangers, and he's doing uh, the Texas Rangers. My brother is a, a writer for the Texas Rangers. Mm-hmm. And one of their managers is doing a food program that's based in produce. And in his conversation, he's got good contacts with Arizona State University. You know, we're working on on the development of how to how to better utilize our, our butcher, our butcher dates because USDA butcher dates are really hard to get. Like we have to, we have to schedule them a year in advance. So if we could figure out a system that would allow more butcher dates, then we become valuable to that guy who's got a steer, but that's not able to get a USDA butcher date. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of almost like the piping that connects all of it together that les- allows it to all work in, in concert. Yeah. And so the USDA, you have to go through USDA butchers. That's part of the, well, part of the requirement. If it's a federally run organization like St. Vincent de Paul, um, for instance, it has to be USDA. And okay. if it's through a school, it's got to be USDA. And I think that's good. I mean, I think federally that's probably a, a good program. But then there's other ones that are just local, and they're actually preparing the meals themselves. And and we have a few food banks and organizations. We work with 27 food outlets in Central Oregon right now. And there's a percentage of those that are not USDA because they're not federal, and they're overseeing it themselves and so all of our non-USD but DA butcher dates goes to them. Gotcha. Okay. I wasn't sure how that all worked. Now, um, something that I don't think we quite touched on, but I think you told Kendra in your article, 1017, what is, where did that name come from? And for, for those who aren't familiar. Um, there's, there's been kind of this running joke. And I think here's the, here's the total backstory is that, um, my wife and I have always had this kind of running joke about 1017. My my birthday is actually October 17th. And so when you see the, the it seems like every time we looked at the clock, it said 1017. This is years, like back in the Texas days. 
Mm-hmm. And so we were always look at the clock at 1017. There was this running joke. We would get passed by a truck and almost get run off the road and it would have a 1017 sticker. It was, and, and I know this sounds almost superstitious. It's super not, it's almost substitious, but it was just funny how often that came up. And so every time you come across something that that's got that number. And so when you first Corinthians 1017 says, because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body for we all share the one loaf. I felt like that that verse kind of encapsulated the concept that we're all part of the same thing. And like mm-hmm. I said, when you when you look at, for instance, Wickenburg, the people who have the resources, connecting those resources to the people who need it, that concept in First Corinthians ten seventeen always stood out as a as a concept that sort of, like I said, sort of encapsulated the heart behind what we wanted to see. And so the ten seventeen project is in direct reference to that verse. Oh, that's awesome! It's so fitting. It really seems fitting. Um, so how did you meet Ty Yost and how did you get involved in the NTR? That's something I have so many questions for you, Jordan. Yeah, I'm love it. I love it. Um, so Ty, anybody that's been around the team roping world, I mean, that that's a name that you should know. I love, I love how seriously that guy takes innovation. I mean, he's always thinking like this year he had put a tarp over the arena at Rancho Rio and it was just the talk of Wickenburg for the weekend. You know, there's, he's, he's always forward thinking. He's always, he, I mean, I don't know. I could talk about it for a while, but the NTRs in this part of the world hadn't really gotten off the ground in the Northwest. You weren't seeing any of them. Um, and so when we had the cattle that we had, and like I said, we're going primarily to imported cattle now. And so we talked to him about, is that something that he'd have any interest in? Because in the winter, everybody that ropes seems to leave and go to Arizona, but there's still a, there's still a, a group of people that got jobs that won't allow it or they're regionally, they just, they can't get out of the area. And so we talked to him about, instead of just us putting on, jackpots for ourselves what if we were to partner with something like that because what he's able to do with the prize money and the saddles and the and the you know the breast collars and the bridles and he his ropings are phenomenal and especially where they're targeted like at the lower numbered ropers i think our highest numbered roping that we've had is an 11 mm-hmm. well, well for the people that are staying up here and roping that's that's awesome and and so i got to flag the first one he he said he'd try it and the first weekend we got almost 500 teams which is for the winter up here is just unheard of yeah and and i got to flag that i was flagging that weekend and i swear to you i've never been so nervous in my whole life to flag <laughs> a short round of a number seven in my life like people are yelling the environment was was awesome like you got grandpa's roping with grandkids and and i wanted everybody to catch and i promise you my heart was just racing every time somebody nodded i wanted them to catch so bad and, <laughs> and that's a it's been a fun environment to see sort of develop up here because before because of the lack of numbers, you always just had slide ropings and it seemed like the same guys won a majority of what was won. And so um, to see a new idea on something like that was just, man, I think for all of us, it was really rewarding. That's great. Now, can you tell me, have you had a lot of interactions with the individuals and the families who have been in need and who you've helped or has it been kind of separated? That was something that we had to we had to sort through on the front end is that um, we could be the food bank, but we weren't going to do as good as people who were already doing it. Sure. And me personally, at a personal level, I know a lot of the families, but what I didn't want to do is muddy the water between what we were and what we couldn't be. Mm-hmm. What I knew that we could do is we could be a resource to the people who are doing it well. And, and so that's, that's been the main push and it's not due to a lack of interest. And I think that's an important distinction to make. It's not because of a lack of interest. It is a, this is our strength. This is what we can do. We have so many men that were otherwise not really engaged in Mm -hmm. charity work and, and not that they were against it, 
But I mean, when you think about charity work, you don't think about, you know, people who are loggers or welders or fence builders, you know, the, the blue collar type people that we have, you don't really think of those, that demographic as being charity work. And so our contribution has primarily been connecting the people that were, you know, I would say, I guess the word would be almost more like a supplier. You know, we felt like that our best impact was going to be as a supplier with people who had the ability to, like I said, build fences, contribute, haul cattle, whatever it may be. And so we've stayed out of, you know, corporately, we've stayed out of the food bank part of it because we didn't feel like we could do as good a job anyway. We've got to take a break now to thank our sponsors of this week's episode of The Score. That's Smart Pack Equine. Due to the challenges of modern horsekeeping, many horses can benefit from the support of supplements to help them look and feel their best, especially when we're using them as hard as we do our rope horses. Every horse is different, so Smart Pack has made it easy to create a customized supplement program for your horse. With over 350 supplements available and a team of equine health experts on staff to help you choose between them, Smart Pack is the smartest place to get your horse what he needs. Visit smartpack.com or call 1-800-461-8898 to learn more about how Smart Pack can help you take great care of your horse today. You can also find Smart Pack on Facebook.com and on Instagram, Smart Pack Equine on Facebook and Smart Pack on Instagram. Now, how did you guys get so organized? I mean, you have a media person. You have, your website is awesome. How, was it just people in the community that pulled resources together to kind of get on board with this project? Uh, you know, I, I said it, I've said it probably already three times, but these, the people in the community, I believe, deserve to have their story told. I'm a, I'm a believer in that. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm such a believer in the guy who gets out of bed and goes to work every day and raises his kids and stays faithful to his wife and works and pays his bills. And, you know, we don't, we don't celebrate that story mm-hmm. nationally. That's just not something that usually gets a lot of attention. And, and so one of the things that we wanted to do is do a good job of creating content and, uh, we, we, we knew all along that that was going to be important. Um, I think of the, I think of the 1017 project also as, as sort of a, a content provider for the guy that's living in a high rise building in Chicago and mm-hmm. he grew up wanting to be a cowboy. And, and is there a way that he could connect to the culture, whether it's through, you know, apparel or whatever the case may be, where he felt like he had a genuine contributing, uh, part of the program, even if he doesn't live here in the area. Well, the only way that, that we were going to be able to do that is if we had content online. Mm-hmm. And so there's a guy named Jacob McLean who really caught the vision with this. And, and he's the one that's doing a lot of the content. He's doing a lot of the editing, almost all the editing, him and a kid named Levi. But it was important that we felt like that this was something we wanted to share with everybody. Because like I said, if it's, it's a program that's been built by blue collar people. And what we're finding is that blue collar people all over the world, literally, <laughs> literally the world, which is a shock to me, but they like watching. They like seeing what's going on. And, and we are we are just, I think, just kind of ramping up right now, being able to tell the story better. Because I think what it's doing is it's reestablishing a charitable concept mm-hmm. in a place where that's necessary. You yeah. Know, that that it, is a, it is a feel-good story, but it's not just a feel-good story. It's something that I think everybody should have in their own lives. They should have an aspect of, of a charitable concept in their minds. So now you said you're just ramping up. What are your goals five years out, 10 years out? Tell me some of the future goals that you've got for this program. I want to I want to see food insecurity wiped off the map. I mean, and, and I think that's probably big. And I, I realize that's probably a, a pie in the sky goal at the moment. But I think in the beginning, if somebody would have said, you know, 32 tons of hamburger, that would have seemed impossible too. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the five-year goal is that we do a good enough job telling our story that we've eliminated food insecurity in the state of Oregon. 
um, that we've created an inroad for contributions from people that may not live in the area, but that see the value in what we're doing. I would love to see Wickenburg having a functional campus of the 1017 project there. That's not, and I'm not saying the ropings or even owning the, the it's, it would look a little different there because the team roping culture in the same way that the food banks were already established here, the team roping is already established there. We want to come in and be a benefit to what's already there in Wickenburg. Mm-hmm. But I would like to see that number that 70% of the kids in the, in the school district, I would like to see that number drop to zero, you know, that we look and see what can we, what can we realistically accomplish? And that those are the kind of goals that we set first. And so then by five years from now, I'd love for somebody that's living, I don't care if they're living in, you know, Montana or Delaware or New York, I don't care if somebody goes, Hey, there's something that I could do and that we can help resource that concept where they are. Now we, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, and we and you and I talked about it when you you and I talked last week too. What do you think people are missing, or what don't people understand about hunger in America and hunger worldwide? I mean, are they not seeing people where they are? What are they? I didn't. What, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I for sure didn't, and I'm as guilty as anybody. I mean, here I was the pastor of a church, and I didn't. I was unaware. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it takes an intentional effort to see people. I don't think mm-hmm. that you just are going to naturally see people that don't fit your demographic. You know what I mean? It is mm-hmm. so easy to, you know, the, the social media algorithms of real life, so to speak, that we tend to see what we know and we tend to see what's familiar. And I missed it. I didn't, I was living in the same community. I didn't even know the issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it does get brought up, it seems like it gets kind of pushed to the political margins. And mm-hmm. when you look at, and when you look at, a, um, the word welfare is a political word and it doesn't, it shouldn't be. I mean, mm-hmm. welfare means well-being, and and if we can contribute to the well-being of families, I, I'm I'm in on that. And so I think it's probably intentional and in looking past political tribalism. I mean, mm-hmm. the moment you feel like that you can't participate in helping somebody because it doesn't fit your political climate, uh, I mean, I think we can do better than that. Absolutely, that's a that's a wonderful way to put it. We can do better. I I agree. Oh man, I think that's a, well, okay. Before I end, I want, how can people get involved or how can they help implement programs like the 1017 project or, or how can a ro- any roper that has a roped out steer or a steer with broken horn help you? So right now what we're able to do, we are a 501c3 that's nationally recognized. We've got our, it's a 501c3 that can anywhere in the nation, if you can verify that you are donating an animal through a USDA butcher that's going to a food outlet right now today, we can get you tax credit for that, no matter where you're at. If you're in the United States, we can we can facilitate that. The second thing is that um, we're we're working on our social media platforms to tell the story clearly. You know, I mean, there's so so much of it that gets missed through the cracks on a even like a podcast like this. Mm-hmm. But what we want to do is make sure that the story is being accurately told, whether it's through the website, you know, the 1017project.com. The 1017 is on all the social media. And, and like I said, Jacob McLean has done just a phenomenal job with that of, of dedicating himself to telling the story. And so if people want to check it out or, or, or be involved, there's giving avenues there. Um, you know, like I said, it's, it's, all tax, it's all a tax benefit. But at the end of the day, what we're hoping is that people start to ask the question of what is there that I can do in my community? And what we would, what I'd love to think is that we could be a benefit to them in that. We could be a resource that says, well, here, let's, Let's find a butcher. Let's find a food bank. You know, do the do the work, and then we can. I guess the word is the connection that we can be the we can be the connection point to the resources and the people that are in need. Also, 
Jordan, I'm so glad we did this. I am so glad to talk to you more about what you do. And I, I know everybody's going to read the April issue of the Team Roping Journal, and they're going to be inspired, and they're going to listen to this podcast, and they're going to be inspired. And I just am looking forward to everybody knowing your story and, and being able to help just like you guys are. No, I can't. I can't say thank you enough. I'm, I'm learning how important exposure is on stuff like this, and so this is huge for us. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Jordan. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Thank you all so very much for following this episode of The Score. Um, I'm so grateful that Jordan Weaver was on this week, and I'm also grateful for Smart Pack Equine for supporting this week's episode of The Score. Remember, every horse is different. Smart Pack has made it so easy to take great care of your horse today. Check them out on Facebook at Smart Pack Equine, on Instagram at, at @smartpack, and online at visitsmartpack.com. Thanks again, Smart Pack, for your support.